John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the darkness. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. If you remember our passage from last week, we looked at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and we had Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night because he didn't want to be seen. He was kind of on the edge of belief. He was one of these who believed in Jesus because of all the wonderful signs that he was doing, because of the miracles that he was doing. But it wasn't a, a true, genuine faith. It was Oh, you could call us a sign faith. He saw the miracles Jesus did and knew that he must come from God. So he wanted to find out more about who Jesus was. And uh, Jesus tells him what? All of, all of your, your goodness, all of your own righteousness, it's nothing. You must be born again. There has to be something, a, a, a fundamental change in who you are. In order to have life. You must be born from God. You must be born from above. And we see in verses 14 and 15. That the means of this new birth. Is when the gospel is proclaimed. And is when Jesus is lifted up. In his death on the cross for sinners. In his resurrection from the dead. In his ascension into glory. As Jesus is lifted up and proclaimed. The Spirit moves and blows around and changes the heart of those hearers so that they have faith in Jesus. They believe, as he says in verse 15, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. And most scholars, most commentators believe that that is the end of Jesus' quotations. It's kind of hard in the Greek language to figure these out because there are no quotation marks. But most scholars say that In verse 16 through 21, this begins John's explanation of what just took place with Nicodemus and Jesus. He explains, he he gives more detail of what Jesus means in the lifting up of the Son of God. We should learn from our text this morning this. It's in a simple statement. God loves the greatest sinners... So he gives the greatest gift to accomplish the greatest salvation. These verses are just jam-packed with amazing gospel goodness. These verses, the love of God, the amazing gift he gives, the amazing salvation he provides, it should blow our minds. And that's what John wants for his readers. He wants them to step back and look and think about the greatness of this work of God and just be consumed with it. So that they believe in Jesus and they leave to live in a different way. Remember the entire purpose of, of why John is writing this book. He says it at the end. These things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God. 
That you may believe in Him and that in believing you will have life in His name. And that's what He intends for these verses. That our minds would be so blown by the love of God in sending Jesus Christ for sinners like us. That we would believe in such a way that it would change our lives. Not just with a head knowledge, not with just a seeing the goodness of what God does and believing like Nicodemus, but truly relying upon God, truly relying upon Christ and that we would be changed. God loves the greatest sinners, so He gives the greatest gift to accomplish the greatest salvation. Now, in this passage, we see what God commands. We see that He commands, ultimately, that we should love the light and that we should live by the truth. Look in verses 19 and 21. He says, this is the verdict, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world... But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We should have, all of humanity should have loved the light when it came. That's what God commands, that we love the light. And look at verse 21. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We ought to live by the truth. We ought to love the light and live by the truth. Now, light here represents, and throughout Scripture, light represents the revelation of God. That means showing who God is. And so all throughout the Old Testament, God had given light to His people. He had shown in various ways who He was. He had revealed Himself by His great creation. He had revealed Himself by miraculous works in the lives of His people. We know by nature... Every human knows by nature basic right and wrong. Right? God has given us the light of the knowledge of right and wrong. He has revealed it to us simply. Everybody knows what's right and wrong. We know you ought not to murder someone. We, ought not, we, we know you ought not to steal from others. We know these things by nature. God has revealed Himself throughout history, but in Jesus. He reveals Himself in a most supreme way. The light has come into the world. We ought to love the light. By by nature, we hate the light. We also ought to live by the truth. And really, if, if we look at these, you could almost parallel these two things we ought to do with loving God, who is the light, and loving our neighbor, living by the truth. We know... The greatest command is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God with every single ounce of our being. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. To live by the truth in relation to other people. This is what God commands in this passage. We ought to have loved the light. We ought to live by the truth. And yet, every one of us and every human throughout history has failed in unbelief. We have failed in unbelief. Like Adam and Eve, we have loved the darkness rather than the light. Because our our deeds are evil. Why do we hate the light? Because it exposes our sin. It exposes our evil deeds. When God reveals Himself and when He speaks His words to us about what we ought to do and what we ought not to do, it hurts and so we run away, like when you shine a light onto a, a bunch of cockroaches. They all just run all over the place. Now, how I know that, that's not a good thing. But 
You know what I'm talking about. Or, or why are things, why, why does nothing good happen after midnight? It's because it's dark. Evil deeds take place in the cover of darkness. Think about how much sin takes place in places where we can't see. So gossipers whisper their gossip quietly, hidden from sight. People addicted to pornography do so behind closed doors where they can't be seen because there is shame there. We know, we know by nature that the light exposes our shame, that the light exposes our evil deeds. And so we run from the light. We hate the light. We don't want any part of it. We know it's a problem. We know by nature that our sin is a problem with God. And the scripture here teaches us it is a problem, a big problem between us and God. We know that our sin causes big problems in our relationships with one another. So what's the solution to this problem? What's the solution to this sin problem that we have? Do you know what our solution typically is? Hide it! Put it somewhere where we can't see it anymore. Just get it out of our sight and we will try to ignore it as best we can. This is what Adam and Eve did. They hid themselves in the garden as, as God was walking. They hid themselves. They were uh, ashamed. They felt shame for their sins. So what do we do? We'll hide it. How do we hide it today? We don't hide behind the bushes. No, we, uh, we are not completely honest with one another about who we are. And therefore we have no real relationships where we can confess our sins to one another because we don't like the light. We like to run away from the light. And therefore, we, we cannot have true church community because we can't be honest with one another about our struggles, with, about our sins, about our thoughts, about our deeds. We hide it in self-righteousness sometimes. And so we accumulate all these righteous deeds that we can look to in, in order and effort that they might cover up all of our sin and hide it from our sight. And then we just look at those and we think about how good we are, how good we have been, how much good we have done, how much we have given to the poor, how much we have helped others. And we hide it because we are afraid. We are afraid that our true selves, who we are, will be exposed. And so if, we, if at all possible, we will even hide it from God. We are afraid that if people knew who we really were, if our true self were, was exposed, then no one would love us. No one would be our friends. God Himself would not love us. God Himself would condemn us. And really, this is what we deserve because of our sin. This is what each one of us deserves because we have run from the dark because our eaves were devil. Look at all the words that John uses to describe what we deserve and what will come upon us if we do not come to the light. Verse 16, we will perish. Anyone who does not believe will perish. Now that word is not just they will die. This is speaking of an everlasting death, an ever, everlasting punishment in hell. We deserve to perish. Not just body, body and soul. Verse, verses 17 and 18. We deserve to be condemned. 
We do deserve to be judged, to be looked down upon from God because of our wickedness, because of our sin. Verse 19, because we deserve judgment. And no matter what we try to cover it up with, no matter what we try to hide our sin and our shame, we cannot do it. We can't do it. We can't hide it. it will, all, all things will be exposed before the Almighty, all-seeing, all-knowing God. We cannot hide from God and ultimately we will not be able to hide from one another. One day it will all be exposed. We cannot hide it. We cannot get rid of our sin. But while we were helpless, while we are powerless to, to, to cover over our sin, to get rid of it, while we are helpless, God does something so crazy, some people just cannot come to believe it. He does something so amazing, so radically generous, that we just can't believe it. It blows our minds. It should blow our minds. I just want to give you three verbs, three action verbs, three things that God does that should just amaze us. There, there are many more in this passage than just these three, but these three are, I think, the main ones and, and should captivate us so that we would change. Look at what God does. He loves. For God so did what? You tell me. God so loved. God so loved the world. God loves. Verse 16. This is the radical nature of God's love. We see it in the object of His love. We see the radical amazing nature of His love in who it is that He loves. God so loved the world. What kind of world is this that God loved? It was a sinful world. God loves sinners. God loves the unlovable. God loves those who everybody else casts aside. God loves the ugly, the wicked, the evil. God so loved the world. Now, if we were to compare this to our love, we, on the other hand, love the lovable. We love those who we deem to be worthy. We love those who seem to have something to give to us, to make our lives better, to give us what we desire. But as we read in Romans 5.8, consider this love that God gives. While we were sinners, God loved. Christ died for the ungodly. Or in Ephesians 2.4. While we were sinners, God made us alive. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God, in His love, this is the way He loved us, He sent His Son, Jesus. And you know what? It's not that He is blind to our wickedness and therefore He loves us. It's not that He somehow thinks that we are worthy. It's not that we somehow give Him something that He lacks or that we have some sort of righteousness that He looks at and thinks it's worthy and so He loves us. No, He sees all of our wickedness. He sees all of our ugliness. He sees all of our evil thoughts and words and deeds and He loves us still. God loved the world. Now the result of this 
When someone experiences this kind of love, this kind of unconditional love that is not deserved, that they are not worthy of, a change happens. One, one change that happens is that they no longer fear God. Because, as the scripture says, perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear because we know that since God loved us when we were unworthy, how much more will He love us now that we are justified in Christ? It casts out fear. We're not afraid that God will condemn us or not love us. We know that He loves us because He sent His Son, Jesus. But there's another change that takes place in the person who experiences this love. Do you know what happens to the person who experiences this love? He starts loving in crazy ways. He starts loving the unlovable. He starts loving those who are cast out. He starts loving his enemies. Those who have wronged him. Those who have said terrible things about him. He starts loving in the way that God loves. There's a book called Crazy Love. This is what it is. It's crazy love. Are you serious? You're going to love that person in that way? That person doesn't deserve your love. He hasn't earned your love. He has nothing to give to you. He's only given you wrongdoing. Think about your family members, your friends who have done you wrong. Think about the person who you find it most difficult of all to love. And this is how God loved you. God loved the unlovable. God loves the greatest sinners. And when those sinners experience God's love, they cannot help but love in the same way. We are children of God. Right? This is in the context of the new birth in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that doesn't love like this, he doesn't know God. Because God is love. Let us love one another like this. God loves, but He also gives. If the radical nature of God's love is shown in who He loves, in the object of His love, the intensity of His love is shown in the greatness of the gift, in its expression. The intensity of God's love is seen in its expression. In this case, God gave the greatest gift. The most valuable gift He could give. His unique Son. His one and only Son. No other like Him. No other Son like this. And He gives Him to sinners. Now you remember Abraham. And he wanted a son. And God promised him that He would give him a son. Now he would be the father of many nations. But they waited and they waited and they waited and nothing happened. And then one day when they are too old to have children, they have this wonderful gift. God makes good on His promise and Isaac is born. And then one day, some 13 years later, God says, Abraham, take your son, your one and only son, take him up and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham obeys. What love is this that Abraham would take his unique, his one and only son, the one that he had waited for for so long and sacrifice him to God. And God spares him and he doesn't have to go through with it. But ultimately, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son points to God's not only willingness to sacrifice his son, but is actually going through with it. 
Look at the intensity of God's love for sinners. Can you believe He loves us like this? God gave His only Son. See, it's a self-giving love. It's not simply that He gave us something that we need us, that He gave us a gift. It's so easy for me to give five bucks to a guy who's in need. It's so easy for me to give, I mean, it would hurt, but it's easier to give a hundred bucks to somebody in need than to give myself to them. To give them me, a relationship with me where I become a friend to them and they become a friend to me. God could have simply given us some sort of gift like that. The intensity of His love is seen in that He gives us Himself. He gives us Himself. It's a self-giving, self-sacrificing love. He gave His Son Jesus to be lifted up like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so that any who look to Him and believe have life in His name. And when we see this amazing gift that God gives, the only right response is to believe, to rely upon Him, to have all of our confidence in the God who loves like this. Because ultimately, God doesn't simply love, He doesn't simply give, give, God saves. For God so loved the world that He gave His only, only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. When I was young and I had done something wrong and I heard Daddy was coming, I got scared. And so we would run, like me and my brothers and sisters, we would run to the back of the house and we would put pillows in our pants because we knew it was going to hurt. And even as a dad myself, when my children do something bad, I kind of stomp so they know I'm coming. And it, it pro- provoked in me fear because I knew I had done something wrong and I knew I was in trouble. And sometimes we think that Jesus is is coming in this way. We know that we have sinned. We know that we have done all kinds of wrong things. We know that we have thought evil thoughts. And when we hear that God Himself is coming in flesh, we might be tempted to think, "Uh uh-oh, I am in so much trouble. But John clarifies here why Jesus came. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Have you ever thought about that? Not to condemn the world, but to save it. See, the world is already condemned. We have known the truth. We have known what we ought to do, what we ought not to do, and we have sinned against God. We already stand condemned before God. He says, the one who has believed is not condemned. The one who has not believed is already condemned. You should know that if you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you have not relied upon Jesus' work, His death, His resurrection for you, if you're relying on your own self-righteousness or goodness, that God's condemnation stands over you. You're condemned already if you have not believed in the Son of God, the one and only Son. Jesus, however, came not to condemn, but to save. Now we fear if people really know who we are, they will condemn us. And we have that fear about God too. 
We have this fear that He will con- condemn us. But in Christ, there is no more condemnation. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you relied upon Him? Have you trust in His work for you? Not in your work, but in His. The world already stands condemned before God. And what we must do in response is repent and believe. Now it says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him. So don't get the idea that God came and died for the world in the sense that everyone is saved. It is completely and absolutely sufficient for everyone and anyone who will come to Him. But it is only efficient for those who trust in Him. It is only effective for those who bow the knee and look to Jesus as the one who saves them from their sins. Repent and believe today. Repent. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. And the result, for the one who sees Jesus as His Savior for the one who trusts completely and the one who came to save, it frees us to not fear condemnation from God and it also frees us from having to condemn our neighbors. From having to judge and condemn those around us. If Jesus wasn't sent to condemn, why is it that we so often think that we were sent to condemn? If Jesus wasn't sent to judge, why is it that we feel so free to judge one another? This is not how it ought to be. We, we no longer condemn. We love. We give ourselves to others. And we, we cannot save. But we point them to the One who can save. We point them to the One who will save if they will come to Him in faith, trusting in Jesus. While we deserve condemnation, Jesus comes to save. Jesus came because God loved the greatest sinners. Because God loved the greatest sinners such as you and me, He sent the greatest gift, His Son Jesus, in order to accomplish the greatest salvation. The response that John intends his readers to make from all this And the response I think that God wants us to make is this. The light has come into the world. Run to the light, not away from it. Run to the light, not away from it. If you are an unbeliever and you you know that you are a sinner and you're afraid that exposing your sin and who you are will result in condemnation and lack of love, Run to the light, not away from it. It hurts. Just like when you wake up in the morning and you turn on the lights and it hurts your eyes and you can't stand it, you want to get away from it. But run to the light and there is healing in the light of the love of Jesus Christ. He will drive out all the darkness. He will drive out all the fear and the shame. But it's only if you come into the light. It's only when you come into the light of God's love. And for those of you who have come into the light, for those of us who God has shown His light of grace into our hearts, this is the kind of community He is making us into. This is the kind of people He is turning us into. A community, a church that loves the unlovable. 
that loves those that our culture casts out, that gives not simply five bucks here and food there and clothes there and other things there, but gives of ourselves to those who are in need. Is that the kind of community we are? Think about your relationships. Is that, is that the kind of spouse you are? That even though your husband or wife, you feel, doesn't deserve your love, hasn't earned your love, hasn't given you what you need, because God has loved you in this way, you're going to love them. You're going to give them crazy love. Self-giving, self-sacrificial love. Is this the kind of church we are? Is this the kind of employee you are who loves those around you even when they don't deserve it? This is the kind of people God is turning us into. And this is the way that we will best demonstrate that our good works, our good deeds are being done in God. Do you see that at the very end of the verse? Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God or in God or through God. It's only God who works this kind of love. It's only God who works this kind of giving. It's only God who works this kind of self-giving, sacrificial love. And He works it in every one of His children. So brothers, let us love one another. Brothers and sisters, let us love. This is how the world will know that we are children of God. If we love one another as God has loved.